in Pelican Bay, just to give you some context, we had no programs up there. It's a lockdown prison where you don't have access to programming. You don't have access to any kind of rehabilitative programming. So this entrepreneurship program was freaking amazing because it's like, oh, I'm, I know all these entrepreneurial things. I just don't know the terms for them. Like, I don't know these, I don't know like the economics of one unit, but I instinctively know, I instinctively know them, but I don't know all the technical terms for them. So starting to learn it, it's like, this was like, oh yeah, I'm like a sponge and we're just soaking it up up there. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazda. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. What's up, gang? Welcome to today's episode of The Greatness Machine. What an amazing episode. Uh, John Jackson was just one of my favorite guests. So much stuff we talked about. We talked about him, you know, literally walking upon his mom's murder scene when he was just a, a young kid and how that transformed him into a, literally a life of crime. Ends up in prison and got into the gang violence and how he ended up in Pelican Bay, the most notorious prison in America. and. At one moment in his life, the one moment, we're going to talk about the one moment in his life that turned it all around and how he literally got out a few years later and has transformed his life. And now he helps those who are incarcerated through Hustle 2.0 with our former guest, Kat Hoke. So love this episode. Uh, So much fun talking to him. Learned so much about his life. Such an amazing guy and uh, just such a great story. So stay tuned and hope you enjoy. Guys, welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde, and boy, do we have a special guest today. My main man, John Jackson, is in the house. What's up, John? Hey, Darius. Really happy to be here. You know, John was introduced to a life of crime at the age of 17 by a person who promised to protect him, and after serving 18 years in prison, he became entrenched in gang culture. He was locked up in uh, Pelican Bay, one of the worst of the worst supermax prisons in the United States, and uh, his life has been transformed. He now works with gang leaders nationwide to interrupt generational cycles of violence and incarceration. Currently, you serve as the, John serves as the Director of Correctional Partnerships for Hustle 2.0, um, and which is essentially an evidence-based trauma-informed curriculum used in more than 450 jails and prisons across the U.S. He's a co-author of 10 books, TEDx speaker, key, keynote speaker for multiple organizations, advocating for second chances for the incarcerated. So, man, John, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for taking a leap of faith and uh, trusting Kat's word that it was worth talking to me. I'm really grateful to be here. Yeah, no, it's, it's great to have you. So, um, so man, like, you know, obviously that's, that's uh, what, maybe 150 words to describe quite a, quite a life so far. Um, I'm sure, sure. it's going to do it no justice, but I'd love to, you know, take us back to the, you know, give us your background, you know, and start from, you know, where you're, where you're brought up and, 
and how you got into this gang culture. I'd love to hear that story. And then we could kind of talk about what happened and, and how you got to where you're at now. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, I was born and raised in San Antonio, Texas. And I was raised with my mom. And early on in life, my mom, I don't know what she was into. I don't really remember much of that. But I do. Uh, one of the memories that really sticks out to me was when I was 11, I'm on my way to school one morning and I find the car parked on the side of the road. And it, that turned out to be my mom's murder scene. Oh, my God. So I found, I found my mom's murder scene. I never knew who my father was. So after that, I go to live with my mom's sister, my aunt. And she's the one who introduced me to a life of crime. She was a drug dealer. And I was with her one night when she gets pulled over. She's got drugs in the car. She's already been arrested. So she tells me, like, I'm 17. I'm 17 year old kid. She's like, John, like, if the cops find the drugs, like, tell them they're yours. Like, if I get, if they find them, if they find them, they bite me, I'm going to prison. So I already lost my mother, right? Like, I don't want to lose, I don't want to lose my aunt too, the person who like is supposed to protect me. So, the cops found the drugs and I did. I told them they were mine. And she watched as I was handcuffed and placed in the back of a cop car and charged with possession, transportation, and sales of a controlled substance. And that was my first time ever being arrested. That was my introduction to a criminal lifestyle. And I, I, what I got from that was I got praise from my aunt, right? Like, good job. Like, this is what you do for family. You protect your family. Wow. So, uh, let me ask you a question. So what kind of drugs were they? Do you remember? Do you remember? Crack cocaine. So she, so she hands you how much, do you know how, how much there was? Like it was about two grams. So not, so not very much. Not a lot. Yeah. For you non-drug users, two grams of, 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 uh, of anything is not a lot. Go get a scale out and put it on there. So, so a very small amount of, of drugs, probably like it's like under 50 bucks worth of drugs, right? Yeah, it really, it was, it was, a, luckily it was towards the end of the night. She had already like sold most of her drugs off and like luckily it wasn't more because i would have whatever it didn't matter what it was i would have said it was mine to protect my aunt so yeah i'm like it's pretty bad that i know the price of i I actually don't know the price of drugs (laughs) 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 i i i I swear to god i know about crack cocaine um but yeah yeah yeah. two grams is a 27 70 a gram I just, I, I figured it was, I mean, that's not a lot of, you know, two grams is, I know, I know what stuff weighs. Like, two yeah. grams is a very small <laughs> There's 27 grams in an ounce and there's 16 gra- ounces in a pound. So I know, I know my just, math. Okay? just break down the math on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the price, the, the arbitrage price of weed versus crack. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, of course, Darius goes straight for the comedy hour on drugs, <laughs> on a teenager getting busted for his aunt's drugs. So you're so did you go to juvie for that? No, uh, I went to the adult. I went to adult uh, county jail. Shut the fuck up. Um, at seventeen, but thankfully, well, my aunt predicted it right that it was my first time being arrested. They're going to give you a slap on the wrist and let you go, and that's what happened. A couple of weeks later, they released me. So you go to so so you've never been you never done anything wrong like even like anything bad before this. I, I, of course, I, I'd stolen from the little, like, local store, a little shoplifting, not, not minimizing. I don't want to minimize stealing as, as a kid, youth, adult, whatever, but just nothing at that level. But, but, but I mean, you never had, like, gotten in trouble for it. Like, no, I've never been arrested. I was, I, I was a chronic, like, I was a total chronic shoplifter when I was a kid. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> I had a problem. <laughs> I've never admitted this on the show, but when I was like 13, I shoplifted for a little bit. Um, and then it's I, okay. Joint, joint, uh, I've done a little more than shoplifting, so <laughs> you're, 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 no judgment here. No, no, no. You know, it's it's interesting as, you know, I, I've had family members that have grown up in around, you know, aunts or uncles or just, you know, their their, their parents were not there, right? Yeah. And, and you know, if if or their or their parents were in, you know, in crime, and 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 it's interesting to see, like that's the environment. It's like you are what you're around, right? Yeah. So 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 you get praise from your aunt, and then and then what happens? So I got out of, like I said, get out a couple of weeks later. My aunt praises me for this, and I'm like, well, this is what I. Looking back now, I know this is what I've been looking for since I lost my mom. Right, I've been looking for this acceptance, this family, and. I'm getting it. She's praising me like, good job. So I leaned into the, I, I, I leaned in. I'm like, okay. So I started committing aggravated. I took it. I escalated my crime pretty quickly. I committed my first aggravated robbery at the age of 17. Oh, um, wow. So right after that, you just like, you're like, yeah. oh. so were you like, what were you excited to do it? Or were you just like, like, I, I, I wouldn't say I was excited to do it, but I, what I was excited to, what I was excited to do was provide like take care of my family and my aunt and get that praise again of like, wow, good job. You're, you know, you're doing good things. You're bringing money in, you're making money. And I did, I got praise when I would commit a robbery, I'd bring money home to her and like share my money with the family. It's like, yeah, good job. So I, she's reinforcing that this is good behavior. Wow. And, and, and had she, so she was a, 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 like a what, drug, sold drugs. She was kind of in that drug lifestyle. She's selling drugs, and you yeah. know, for her, like crime was just you know it's part of the deal, right? Yeah. And it, my, it, one thing about my aunt, she's a natural born hustler. I respect her hustle, her her grind, and like her entrepreneurial spirit. She just misused them. Uh, she misused them. Yeah, and so so you committed your first aggravated uh, robbery at eighteen, seventeen. You said seventeen, and I went to so I committed a string of aggravated robberies. I committed four aggravated robberies a couple of weeks after my release from the drugs and was arrested like that uh, a couple of weeks later. Okay. So, so you, so you did get caught pretty quickly. I got caught really quickly before the, so after I was arrested for the drugs and released before the end of that year, I was already, I was already on my way to a maximum security prison. Oh, she, yeah. she didn't teach you the part where the, the, the most important part, don't get caught. Yeah. She did not teach you to don't get caught part. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's like, like crime one Oh one. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> So, so she does, so she didn't teach you that part, which, you know, that's, that's obviously, you know, it's negative then, but probably in the long run, you know, positive, because uh, you would have probably created a lot more, you know, harm for people or could have even escalated more outside of prison. Yeah. Um, but man, so was that your second offense that, that you went to the prison? Uh, this, yeah, second offense, but multiple, it was multiple offenses that resulted in me going to prison. Got it. And what, how long was the sentence for? The original sentence was for 16 years. What? 16? And you're 18 or 17 at this point? I was 17 at the time. So you're 17 years old. You're just doing some stupid shit. I mean, listen, like, I'm not trying to minimize robbing a yeah. bunch of people, but like, but the, like, but, but, it, but 16 years, like, that's, that's crazy. I mean, yeah, it's, there was, um, I, and I love that you said, like, I'm not going to minimize that I hurt people. I created victims and I traumatized them and that will stay with them for the rest of their lives. 
But it's, what, it's seven, what is? Can I ask a question? Yeah. What's aggravated robbery? Is that like? Is that like? What's the gun? What's that? So I put it. It means I had a gun. I okay. put a gun to their head, or I I use a gun to. I, I in all of my robberies, I use a gun. Was it loaded? Yes, it was loaded. Oh shit, man. Okay, so all right, so so that 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 is. I mean, that's scary. Yeah. Right? And and did, were you intent on using it, or you're like, I'm just gonna scare them? No, um, I I never intended on using it or hurt, um, physically hurting them. I definitely mentally and emotionally scarred them. Yeah, well, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So so okay, so that's what aggravated. Sorry, I don't I don't know all this stuff. So so you um. So, so they they throw the I guess the term for that's throwing the book at you, man. They're like, yeah, screw this kid. Like this guy, yeah. like we're we're gonna teach. And you're in Texas too, which is pretty. No, I had actually I had actually already I was on the run. I went from Texas to California, so I was arrested for my first robbery in Texas, and I bonded out and I split. I went to California. Oh, okay. So so you were you were uh, a fugitive, I guess. Yeah, and right. I committed more aggravated robberies in California. And so, uh, where were you in California where you, where you got caught? I was in San Bernardino, oh, okay. Southern California. Yeah, no, I, I used to work at gas stations near San Bernardino. My my, my folks own uh, Riverside County, but um, so so you um, so you get caught in California, which is you know, I guess maybe in some cases better than Texas because Texas is yeah. hard on crime. I mean, they may you might like, it might have been impossible to get out if you were in Texas. Yeah, I I, I I definitely believe that if I had I been arrested in texas would have been i would be on it's a complete different trajectory of where i to where i am now so so you get into prison you're 17 you've committed a few crimes but dude you're still pretty green and you're a teenage. Yeah. i mean you're a teenager dude i mean you're like i mean there, i mean i mean there's people i mean I, everyone does dumb shit when they're a teenager yours may have been a, a different type of dumb right but but dude you're still a kid yeah. you know Total kid. So, so you're a kid. They try. They basically put try you as an adult. Yeah. And you go to prison. What what prison did they put you in to start? My first prison was Sentinella State Prison. It's a level four maximum security prison. So that was my first prison. And when, I, I was eighteen. I was eighteen when I got to prison. Seventeen in county jail. Eighteen when I get to a maximum security prison. And man, what was that like? Uh, so you hear all the stories about uh, like. Very, uh, at least in California, that stuff is not true. Like, you don't walk up to the biggest dude and punch him. Like, it, it is none of that. Um, I came from Southern California. So I, I was, when I was in the county jail, I joined the gang almost immediately when I got there. I, I had all the skills that I have all the skills that make a great gang member, right? Like, I'm a good leader. I'm a hustler. I, and I, I have the ability to be violent. I had. So, so. Okay, so you get there and you're like, was did did your aunt or anybody say, hey, listen, you got to join a gang? Or no. Was this just like instinctual? You're like, all right, I've watched enough movies and like understand the way this shit works. Like, I I gotta watch my back. No, when I got there, uh, some of the who eventually became my homeboys were like, hey, who do you run with? I'm like, I don't run with anybody. Like, you know, and I stood up to them. This made like they saw that I had heart, right? It's like. And they were like, "Well, you're running with us now." So, like, all right. I so, didn't know. I didn't know what all that what, what all that meant at the time. Um, but I was like, "Shit, you got a bunch of guys who who are going to accept me and protect me, and I'm going to protect them." I got a family. I have my family. I got. Yeah. yeah. Well, so so so, and forgive me if my like understanding of of 
prison culture is wrong. But and this all comes from movies, more or less. But (laughs) so my understanding is like it's usually ethnic based, right? It is. Like like, I was was part of a Mexican gang, one of the large. Part I became I eventually became a member of one of the largest prison gangs in the United States. So so so, sorry, John Jackson threw me off a little bit. So yeah. So (laughs) my father my father was Mexican. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So, so 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 you're like so you're half Mexican, is that correct? Yeah. All right. So you're like, all right, uh, that that's my crew, and and so yeah, walk me through that experience. So it was when I got there, I got to I got to jail. The homies hit me up like, all right, you're running with us now. You're one of us. Here are the rules. Here are the regulations. Here's how we roll. Here's what we do. And I'm like, I love this. I love structure. Like we work out every day. We're clean. We do this. We do that. And I'm like, I'm in. So like, where do I sign up? And because of the like the skills that I have, my leadership skills and my entrepreneurial skills, I started to like I started to gain responsibility within the gang pretty quickly. Well, and what is what does that look like in the gang? In the gang, that means like enforcing the rules. So give me yeah. an example of a rule. So we don't. Uh, sorry, I say we. I'm not we anymore. Uh, not sleeping during the day. Like shoes on. Being clean, being respectful, presenting our, presenting yourself respectfully. And people, some people don't do that. Like people don't grow up in that culture. But when you come in to jail or you come into prison, like you're going to keep a clean cell. You're going to, you know, when the when program is running, when everybody's outside of their cells during the day, you will be awake and alert and on your toes and ready for anything. Oh, so this is more of like a militant position. It's very, everybody is, the gangs are very mili- uh, militaristic. Yeah. There's structure, there are rules. Like the myth that fights just have fights don't just happen, right? Like it happens for a reason. Like somebody broke a rule or somebody did something wrong. Nobody just wakes up one morning and is like, I don't feel like stabbing somebody today and do it. It's not the way. That's not my, that was not my experience in prison. So, and you said that you were part, part of the largest uh, prison gangs in the United States. What, what was the name of it? I was a Sureño. Sureño? Yeah. And is there California, you grew up in the Riverside area. Every Mexican that you were probably around down there was probably, if they were gang involved, that's what they were. Yeah, I've, I've heard that term, that that name of a gang before. Um, yeah. and, and, and was there any ties to like the Mexican mafia or is it all just like Southern California gangs? No, it, it is. So eventually when I work, um, I'm not a member of the Mexican mafia, but eventually when I started working my way up, I earned my way to Pelican Bay State Prison where the leaders of the Mexican mafia are housed and they became my mentors and my friends. And that's who I was surrounded with. And they are, yeah, they are the, it's the Mexican mafia. So when you so using that that terminology of working your way up, you know, you, like you were seventeen when you got in, you were there. You worked your way up to Pelican. How long did it take for you to get to Pelican Bay? I got there in two thousand and thirteen. Uh, okay. So I went to prison two thousand and one. So about twelve years it took me to get there. So you're thirty years old at this point now. Now you had originally got a sixteen year sentence, and my understanding is the way sentences work, and this is not federal prison, was it? This is no, it's a state prison. State prison, right? So my understanding is like, yeah, if you get sixteen and you you behave well, you can get out in like seven. Or yeah, I didn't, I didn't behave myself. Oh, so you were like, you got institutionalized. You're like, oh man, this is. I'm not. Why do I need to go back out? I'm, I'm going to stay here. Well, it's not. It wasn't that I need to stay here. It was at seventeen, eighteen, nineteen years old. Like I couldn't see sixteen years down the road. Like this was my life. The gang was my life. Prison was my life. And like 
I I had settled on the fact that I'm gonna die in here, right? I'm gonna wow. die. In here. Um, this is this is what this is what I was made to do. I was made to to, to be here in this place. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and supply and demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million-dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through. But then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. Hey, business leaders and decision makers, get ready to supercharge your success with the ultimate source of business leadership, wisdom, Harvard Business Review. Harvard Business Review is your daily dose of practical advice for better business management. Visit hbr.org for the latest articles like The Art of Setting Expectations as a Project Manager or AI can help you ask better questions and solve bigger problems. But this isn't just a list. I personally found the article on AI absolutely mind-blowing. It changed how I approach technology and analytics, providing real-world tools for better decision-making. Don't miss the HBR Magazine. It's published six times a year, offering timeless insights around crucial management themes. Perfect for those moments when you just you know want to get away from the screen and dive deep into some transformative content. But wait, there's more. HBR delivers top-notch podcasts, videos, and real-world case studies. From HBR on leadership to the big idea, HBR covers it all, providing invaluable insights from the best in the business. Harvard Business Review has been a game changer for me. It's challenged my thinking and made me a more effective leader. And don't forget the newsletters. Stay up to date on a variety of business topics, ensuring you're always in the know. Ready to elevate your leadership game? Dive into hbr.org, explore their podcasts, read their magazines. The wealth of knowledge is at your fingertip. While much of Harvard Business Review's content is available for free after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content started only $10 a month. Go to hbr.org forward slash subscriptions and enter the promo code greatness right now to take advantage of this great offer. Again, go to www.hbr.org forward slash subscriptions and enter the promo code greatness to learn more about this great opportunity to help manage your career and your business. Hey folks, Darius Mershazade here from the Greatness Machine, your go-to podcast for unlocking your full potential now. 
You've heard me talk about the power of effective communication, right? It's the key to amplifying your influence, engaging others, and really making your mark in the world well. Well, hold on to your hats because I have something special for you today. Economist Education has rolled out a game-changing course on business writing and storytelling that's going to take your communication skills to the next level. Picture this. Economist Education provides online executive education courses built on the expertise and analytical rigor of the economist itself. These aren't your run-of-the-mill classes, folks. We're talking about two to six weeks online programs designed to empower business professionals like you to thrive in a changing world and workplace. These courses feature senior editors from The Economist and invited experts who dish out the insights on the latest developments in the business world. It's like having a VIP pass to the forefront of knowledge. When you sign up, you get a three-month digital subscription to The Economist to support your learning journey. But here's the kicker, my friends. Get 15% off any course from The Economist Education exclusively available through my URL, education.economist.com forward slash greatness. And don't forget to enter the promo code greatness at registration to unlock your discount. This offer ends on March 31st. So you better hustle if you want to seize this opportunity now. Don't wait until it's too late. So for 15% off any course from the Economist Education, head over to education.economist.com forward slash greatness right now and use the promo code greatness at registration. Your future self will thank you for it now. Because you were like thriving and you got a lot of like social author- like authority and people like were giving you praise for being a, yeah. a good soldier or whatever. You yeah, know. I'm making money. I'm still, I get to sell drugs. I get to be an authority figure. I get to, I get to use all the skills, all these great skills that I have. I'm just misusing them. So like, why do I want to go anywhere else? This is what, this is what I'm made to do. I'm going to die here eventually. And just, it is what it is. Interesting. And so, and so because of that, you were what getting charged with additional crimes while you're in prison. Yeah. I got eight additional years added onto my prison sentence while I was incarcerated or engaging in gang criminal activity and violence. Interesting. Okay. And so you were there for, so you became a good, a good prison, you know, a good, good, uh, what, what will be the term? A good gang member. A gang member. Yeah. yeah. So you're thriving in gang culture. You get, you're getting additional years. And so now you're like, dude, I'm, I'm always going to be here. So I might as well just, just do my thing and be good at this. Right. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're ambitious in that sense, which, you know, again, like this is Hustle 2.0 and Defy and all of these things that Kat has created are all really around taking these natural and or learned tools that are being misapplied and yep. applying them in a, in, a, in a positive way, right? So if, if we say all the things we just said, that you're a good leader and that you were, you know, great at carrying out orders or projects or executing on initiatives and you, you know that you know all those things a great leader yeah. ambitious hardworking, you know uh very uh disciplined i just named eight really important qualities of of a of someone who's going to thrive in a corporate culture yeah but miss a pie if i told you darius hey do you want to hire a person who has all these skills and is like has yeah. proven them for 18 years of their life like you'd be like hell yeah send them my way i want this person as a part of my organization yeah, they worked their way up. 18 yeah. years in the same, even to stay in the same organization for 18 years. That's unheard of. That's what right. we teach our guys in our curriculum is that, hey, like, you have a problem. You have loyalty is a problem in hiring people, right? Like, I want a loyal employee. I want somebody who's going to stick it out when things get tough or what, like, well, that's what it's about in the game is like loyalty, sticking it out when it's tough. And like, it sucks sometimes, but I, I'm, 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 I am loyal to my, I was very loyal to my game. Right. Yeah, in my life. Yeah, I was gonna say to to the point where you're you're just 
bulking on years of sentence to your life, right? Yeah. So, so after 12 years, I'm guessing because of the quote unquote crimes committed in prison, you were, they escalated you to a worse prison because they're like, this guy's, because they saw you, I guess, as more of a threat, right? Yeah, I did every time you get in trial. So I did four years in solitary confinement. And my last, my last term in solitary confinement was when I guess they decided, well, you know what? That's an, we've had enough of this crap. We're staying in Pelican Bay. And when you get sent to Pel- Pelican Bay is where it's the furthest prison away from anything you can imagine. It's, it's isolated and it's isolated intentionally because they put, quote, the worst of the worst up there in Pelican Bay. So I've, uh, my last shoe term or the shoe is the whole solitary confinement. They kicked me out to Pelican Bay. And wait, let me ask a question. So four years in solitary, meaning four straight years? No, my longest term, my longest term in solitary confinement is 15 months. So four years cumulative. Yeah. Right. But 15 months, you did one stint for 15 months, a year and three months in a row where you were just like there for yeah, 15 months in, soli- in solitary confinement. What, and what is, what's solitary? What is that? Like you're in a box with a bed and like, that's it? But the, way I, the way I describe it to people who don't know what that looks like is... Imagine being locked in your elevator, in, in an elevator. And now imagine being locked in your elevator without your cell phone or any kind of communication or contact. You're in there by yourself. And imagine that for an hour. And imagine a day, now a week. And whenever you're going to get, quote, outdoor recreational activity, it's another elevator. That's your outdoor recreational activity. It's another elevator. So they pop your door, you walk down a hallway, and you go to walk in another elevator, and you walk around in a circle in there. That's that's solitary confinement. Wait, is the outdoor like the other elevator has no outdoor like light, natural light, nothing? It's a, I want to say it's about a thirty foot high wall that has a screen and mesh on top of it, so no sunlight. It's it's that it is intentionally meant. It is intentionally built to break people to right. break human beings to torture them it's not to correct any behavior it's not to it's strictly punishment torture and uh to break you and does it i mean i could see it, that it would break people but does it get people to act better no i was like hey i'm like how do you if i i mean your first time if, if i went if you put me in that for an hour i'd be like yeah i'll behave <laughs> it, like, it to me, whenever you're there and you have cops telling you like the only way you're gonna leave here is in a box. Well, I'm like, well, screw you. Like, you're not gonna break me. And that's the mentality uh, that you start to is you are not gonna break me. I I'll freaking thrive back here. I'll do more than just live. I'll freaking thrive in this place. Oh, and in sol- in solitary, you're saying. Right. Yeah. Like, I thrive back there. Like, it's working out, exercising, you have access to books, reading, educating yourselves. Like you're just and when you go to the shoe, it's a right. When you go to solitary, it's a right of passage. Oh wow! Okay, so 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 you do have access to working out and books. Well, you just work out. You do push-ups. You do burpees. You work out in yourself. That's just what that's just what we would do. And you read and you study and you just become bigger, faster, stronger, and better at what you do. And they they look at it as punishment. And yeah, it sucks to be back there, but it's also like. When this, when, when I found out I was going to Pelican Bay, I'm like, you're giving me what I want. You're sending me to the freaking White House. Good looking out. Thank you. Oh, you were excited because you're like, dude, this, this is, I'm moving on up. Yeah. It's freaking Harvard. It's whatever, it's like whatever thing you could, whatever group organization you want to be a part of or you want that exclusive club you want to be a part of, you just get, you just sent me there. 
and so so you get to Pelican Bay and you've and your mind you're like I I'm, I'm the big time like I've 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 graduated to like the highest level of like prisoner right yeah I get to be around the people that I've always wanted to be like like these leaders these gang leaders these top gang leaders like I get to see them I get it's basically I get to be around the top CEOs in the country now so exclusive club so it, so this was 2013. I'm trying to think we're like this is right what i mean they were bringing a bunch of like like the guys from mexico the the uh was it the sinaloa cartel yeah, cartels yeah they were bringing them up to the state were they were those guys up in pelican Bay then? no they they predominantly send them to federal penitentiaries yeah that's right those guys yeah. are all federal so yeah. but these are but you but now you're working with like the like the most you know renowned you know gang members in the country and what was that like for you for, at first, I'm a fear. I'm not fearless. Like I don't like the word fearless. Everybody has. I think I believe everybody has fears. So I was scared. I'm like, I'm going to Pelican Bay now. Like this is real. Like I'm. Um, it's a. It was always known as an extremely violent prison. Like you go there, like it's violent. So when I got there, I'm like, oh shit! Like here, uh, here it goes. Right? Like oh, I'm in Pelican so Bay. up to this point, the violence was not not so much. No, oh, plenty of violence, but. You know how some places have a reputation. Pelican Bay has that reputation. Well, there's, well, there's a lot. Do a lot of the, the the incarcerated get murdered there? Is that part of it? Yeah, it's murders, riots, it's st- uh, stabbing cops. Like you name it. Like you, when you get there, there's an expectation that this is what this is. You know, you got everybody that's there earned their way there. Nobody accidentally showed up at Pelican Bay. Everybody there has been to the shoes and stabbed or stabbed someone or been in a riot or like it's not it's not your average like uh, incarcerated person there. So what what got you there was what just the last time in the shoe they're like this guy is just too much. Like this it was my it was my second uh, it was my second time with uh, using a weapon and getting caught with using a weapon and that's when it's like okay like you're stabbing you're involved in riots you're racial riots you're doing all this now you're going to Pelican Bay. So you, you were scared because you're like, oh, this is, I mean, at some part of you, it sounds like was scared. The other part of you was, to your, your earlier comments was like, yeah, in, excited, I guess, a little bit. Well, it's excitement mixed with that fear. It's like, yeah, it, like, crap, what am I going to have to do to measure up to everybody else? You know, you have this expectation in your head of everybody else there. Like, imagine you're going to like this top CEO group somewhere and you, you're, you know, you're an awesome CEO, you run a huge company, but you also have these fears and doubts in your head maybe they're like well maybe i don't measure up maybe what are what everybody else here is better than me or so it's a a lot of that same head talk yeah like so almost imposter syndrome right yeah exactly like well i've only done a couple of stabbings i've only been in a couple of riots like i haven't really did i really earn my way up here wow so so you get there and what what once i guess how was that how was that transition it Really wasn't all that. It's just an, it's an, when I got there, it was just another prison. Oh, it wasn't okay. any it, it wasn't any different. Like the the culture there is very different, and that violence can happen at any moment. And like the cops, the COs there have a very different mentality. Very uh, different. Um, how how so? Like more 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 aggressive. Much more aggressive. They are much more militaristic as well. They and right. I I believe they have a reason of. To feel to create to be a part of the us versus them mentality, because they have been stabbed, sliced, attacked, 
by incarcerated people up there because it is such a violent prison. So it really does create a us versus them mentality and they feed into it just as much as the incarcerated population does. And they're very aggressive. They're very, um, it's a very good old boys club. It's up in the middle of nowhere, predominantly white, older white men who have certain beliefs, political beliefs and beliefs about people who are incarcerated. And the same thing goes for the incarcerated population. I, I once had a belief about them, who they are, who they were, why they do what they do. And those, those beliefs, uh, are dangerous. So what once you got set, so this is 2013, how long were you in Pelican Bay for? I was in Pelican Bay from 2013 to 2019 when I paroled. I paroled from Pelican Bay in 2019. So I got to assume like the chance of, of paroling from Pelican Bay is probably very, very low. Like if, if, if it's hard to get there, then, then it's probably hard to get out of there. Like what, what was it? What was the turning point for you at Pelican Bay? The turning point for me was my 33rd birthday. It was actually the day before my 33rd birthday. When I sat in my cell, I was supposed to go home the next day. But because of my gang and criminal activity, I was starting another four-year sentence that, on my birthday. Oh, so this is like, your, oh, this is my 16th year. I'm, I'm yeah. supposed to be out. And you, so you, you had like an epiphany. I was, I, my epiphany was that I don't want to die in here. I don't, wow. want to, I don't want to die in a concrete box. I don't, I will, nobody will remember me. My homeboys won't care. I've seen plenty of my homies die. I don't remember their names. Right. Like nobody's going to remember me. I don't want to die in years. I was meant for more than freaking dying in a concrete box. Hey gang, Darius Mashaza here. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. So listen, I know we have a lot of CEOs, entrepreneurs, and business owners out there that listen to the show. And right now, if you're one of those folks and you're doing, let's call it a bare minimum of seven figures and above in your business, then what I'd like to do is give you an offer right now. How would you like to get your hands on the frameworks that I actually used to scale my last company, which started off as a small little seven-figure company to over $100 million in annual revenue. And I did it in less than two years, and I did it without costly growing pains, without the headaches that, that you usually experience when you are scaling your business. So if you're one of those folks and you're trying to grow your company, but you're, you're finding yourself stuck in that day-to-day, if you're one of the listeners and you're getting grinded, this is your respite from getting grinded on your business, you're listening to our show, and you're dealing with the breakdowns, you're dealing with inefficiencies, and you know, you've know got that firefighter suit on and all the problems lining on your desk, and you're, you're not doing the work you're supposed to be doing, which is working on the business instead of in it, then what I'm about to talk to you about for the next call, 60 seconds, this is precisely for you. Real quickly, though, if you don't already know this about me, prior to starting The Greatness Machine, I spent 20 years of my life as a founder and CEO of real-world companies. And during that time, I actually grew my companies to over $1.2 billion with a B in bootstrap revenue. In fact, uh, we scaled out my last company from 30 to 1,000 employees, and we did it in just 36 months. And we did it all by using a three-step framework that I call my scale map method. So that, of course, brings us to the purpose of this here mid-roll ad. Yes, this is what the podcast producers call these things. Recently, I created a 30-minute training. And what it does is it walks you step-by-step through all of my scale map method frameworks. And you can watch it right now for free when you go to DariusScale.com. That's my first name, Darius. Scale, S-C-A-L-E.com. And what these frameworks do is they fix... They simplify and they streamline every single aspect of your business. And they do it without the need for complicated scaling systems that are typically way too difficult and way too time consuming for a busy CEO like you and from my, like myself was to implement. 
So if you want a simple and you want a proven path to remove yourself from the day-to-day operations, just like I did, so that you can do what you're supposed to be doing, which is leading your company to record growth without the headaches and without the growing pains, go to DariusScale.com. That's www.DariusScale.com. Watch the short video and I'll see you guys on the inside. Now, back to the show. What do you think? Was it like a religious experience or something that just like made that moment happen for you? What what was it? Just a, it's like a thought? Like, how did you come to that conclusion after 16 years of obviously moving in the opposite direction? It was sitting in my cell. I used to sit in a, I want to say it's about an eight by 12 foot cell. And my celly is the person that you live with. You know, he went out to the yard. I was like, I'm going to stay back today. And I just thought about, I, I really had the thoughts of like, this is really where I'm going to die. These four, these four walls. I'm one day. I'm gonna die in here. They're gonna take my body out of this cell, and that's gonna be the end of it. I don't want that. I want something more for my life. I don't want to die in here. So I, I was like, well, what do I do about that? I have to. I, I can. I've wanted to change my life, but here's here's the opportunity for me to do it. Uh, but you feel trapped. You're like I'm in a gang. You know the saying goes, "Till the casket drops," and that's. That is almost literal. The way out of the gang is death. So, so if people want to bow out of the gang because they want to change their life, is the, the gang says no? That's not okay. That's not okay. There's so you can, you what, can. What's the rule on that? You can. There's one of two ways to go, which is you debrief or you snitch. I I didn't do that. I left. I did not. That's considered the most dishonorable way to leave the gang. And you're marked for death when you do that anyways. I pride, stubbornness, whatever you want to call it. I, I refused to do that. I refused to snitch and turn my back on everything that I everything I believed in up until that point. Um, the other way is you just eventually get old and you age out and you die. So you can't you can't just say like, hey, dude, I'm, I actually want to get out of the game. I mean, like, like there's no so 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 those are two options. You obviously didn't do either of those two. What was your no. option? My option was uh, bravery mixed with stupidity uh, coming out and started. I started incrementally changing my life, which was separating myself from my homeboys who were with the BS, with the drama, who were still gang involved, heavily gang involved, and letting them know, like, hey, I'm not doing this anymore. Like, if you guys want to kill me, go for it. But I'm coming to this yard every day. I'll be right here, but I'm not I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not I'm not selling drugs. I'm not. I'm not participating in uh, gang activity. And it didn't happen overnight either. I didn't like, hey, guys, I'm done. I'm out. It was small incremental steps to separate myself and show that, hey, I'm serious about this. And, and what was their reaction? Uh, their rea- at first, it, threats, intimidation, like, you don't, you, know, you don't get to do that. You don't get to walk away. Like, you're on this yard. Like, you're, you know, you're here. You're one of us. There's, only, you, there's no way out. But but no one followed through on on the threats. No. So you see, so when Andre was on the show, he's like, "Look, like I was like one of the. I think he said he was the top three gang member in the in the in the in the state, right? He's like, you don't get to that level without doing a ton of stuff to like create a reputation for yourself. So he's like, I just like leaned on my reputation. No one messed with me. Was that part of it? Was that you had a reputation too? And people were like, all right, well, I don't want to mess with that guy. Everybody has a reputation. When you're a Pelican Bay, everybody has a reputation. Like you're not the only one there that's stabbed people, killed people or whatever. You know, you got there for a reason. So reputations don't really do anything. But there is something about 
uh, I had put in, I had put in enough work, work, I would call it, uh, I put in, I had done, I had committed enough violence where people, and this is where I go back to rules and regulations. You don't just get to come out one day and be like, I'm going to stab this fool. Like, no, it doesn't work like that. I'm going to stab, my name was Tex. They called me John. My name's John. But I'm going to stab John today. Like, you don't just get to come out and think you're going to do that. It doesn't work like that. You, there are, there's a chain of command. Like, I, John's messing up. He needs to be stabbed. Well, you don't, you have to follow certain rules and regulations before you can make that happen. And sorry, go ahead, please. And like, whenever that comes up for me, is like, I was, I was mentored by some of the top gang leaders. They knew me, they cared about me. So eventually they pulled me over and told me, Hey, is this what you really want? So I'm, yes, this is really what I want. They said, all right, that's fine. If that's what you want, we will let you go. But you'll never, you can never come back. We love you. We care about you. And a, one of the, one of my men, one of them who was my mentor was like, look, you were meant for more than dying in here. You were, like, you can do so much more. You can have a huge impact. You can show people that gang members, former gang members, former incarcerated people, we're not the monsters. We're not just monsters. We're not just animals. We are more than that. So go home. Get the hell out of here. Mind your own business. Nobody's going to bother you. Nobody's going to touch you. Oh, so he he basically vouched for you then. Yes, he gave me he gave me a pass. So he's like, so uh, so you had you had mo- you whatever you had done you had, you gave him an opportunity to like you know create an opportunity for you. Yeah. He, to your point, he cared about you, and he he wanted he saw that your potential, right? And yeah, and I gotta assume like you know, it's a mixed emotion, right? If you're stuck in this in this in, in setup, you're like, I'm either gonna be good at this, but even then, a part of you probably says like, Well, I know there's a world outside of this. I mean, like clearly there is. Yeah, right? there's no there's no question about that. And and so that, that I guess that created that opportunity. So so for you over those, you started making those changes. And and then that four year term came to pass and you got probation. Is that basically what went down? No, not probation. I paroled. So okay. thankfully, around the time that I decided my thirty third birthday, when I decided to start changing my life, Cat comes to Pelican Bay. Wow. So it was really, it really like like all just came together right there. I want to change my life, but I I really don't know what to do. I can make these changes on my own, and then I have. Cat who brings all these amazing people in there and starts telling us like, hey, you have value, you have worth. I've never been told I had value or worth other than in the gang. But when they're like, wow, you're a great speaker, you're a great leader, you're, you have so many skills and talents that could create impact in the world. And that starts to sink in. I'm like, well, maybe these people are right. Maybe they, like all these successful entrepreneurs that she brings in here to, to mentor us, maybe they're right. Maybe they see something that I don't. And so uh, this was, and this was, what year was this? That was 2017. Okay, so so was that part of was that she was still doing Defy then? Is that correct? Yeah, she was still doing Defy then, and we in Pelican Bay. Just to give you some context, we had no programs up there. It's a lockdown prison where you don't have access to programming. You don't have access to any kind of rehabilitative programming. So this entrepreneurship program was freaking amazing because it's like, oh, I'm, I know all these entrepreneurial things. I just don't know the terms for them. Like, I don't know these, I don't know, like, the economics of one unit, but I instinctively know, I instinctively know them, but I don't know all the technical terms for them. So starting to learn it, it's like, this was like, oh, yeah, I'm like a sponge and we're just soaking it up up there. So you got into the her her program and for listeners that don't know what a program is, essentially, this would be like, like, NA or 
you know, these different like narcotics or what was it like? Alcohol uh, this was a, it's like taking a class, like yeah, class. Yeah, it's like taking a class, uh, entrepreneurship class with some life skills mixed in. Right. So, so in, in in prisons, they have these classes you can take to like make yourself better. And a lot of people who are doing the programs are trying to better themselves. Right. Yep. Um, and 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 is that looked down upon in the prison culture, or is that kind of it was early on when I first came to prison, like. I didn't program and it wasn't only that we didn't, that we didn't program, we didn't have access to programming. So it took me 10 years to get a GED. I passed it on my first time, finishing the 90th percentile, but never had access to even take my GED for 10 years while I was incarcerated. Yeah. Which is crazy. When you start to like, look at the system, you're like, what are we really trying to accomplish here? Yeah. Like, you know, are we, are we trying to like, like, listen, like there's plenty of, I'm sure there's some people that, probably shouldn't leave prison either they're mentally ill and they're dangerous to society or whatever right or they're so entrenched in their beliefs that they're not going to change but there's there's a huge population where it's just like this had rough rough go at it growing up or they made some really stupid decisions really stupid yeah really stupid decisions that harmed people and created victims but when you start to hear the story behind it's like my interest if I, i i take ownership of the crimes I committed and the damage that I have caused. And I'm, I am using my life to live amends for that. I can't undo what I did. Right. I wasn't born a gang member. I wasn't born a criminal. There were a set of circumstances that led to that. Finding my mom's murder scene, having my aunt take a drug charge for me and then like follow that trail. I wasn't born this way. I wasn't born a criminal or a gang member, but this is what, this is how I became what I became. And given the opportunity, I did take the opportunity to change my life. Yeah, and that, and that and that and that's. I mean, you got to assume like that's a it's a steep hill to climb, right? It's a, especially it's not, it's not like you're like, oh, I'm 16. What am I going to do with my life? You know, it's like yeah. you're like, no, man, I'm like 33, 30, you know, seven when you got out, right? But so 33, and I've spent half my life in prison, right? Like, yeah. and, and probably more than half of your life consciously as like your entire adult life. And then some, right? So yeah. all you know, and to say, oh, I'm done with this. I'm gonna turn my life around. Yeah, it's like that's that's crazy. Like that by itself is a crazy thought. And so, so you started the program with doing Defy and worked through that. And how long was that program? Uh, we did that program about six months. I graduated. I eventually became a peer leader in the group and got to mentor other people. We ran two other two other groups, so I got to mentor other people coming into the program, and that really solidified, like started to solidify my change because people stopped seeing me as a guy to go to for drugs or alcohol or whatever. They stopped seeing me as that person and started seeing me as the guy who like, hey, I need help on writing a resume. I need help on writing a cover letter. I need help in my business idea. And I became that go-to guy instead of being the go-to guy for gang stuff. What's up, TGMers? JustWorks supports small businesses with simple, seamless solutions like integrated payroll. Now, for a limited time only, try out their payroll plan for one month for free. As a reliable and flexible platform, JustWorks earns back time, so you can focus on running your small business with big confidence. Running businesses demand it. I mean, look, look, we've all been there. You know, you're juggling countless tasks and responsibilities every single day. That's why when it comes to managing payroll, you need a solution that streamlines the process so you can focus on what really matters, growing your business. Experience the relief of streamlined payroll management with their comprehensive solution. From automated payments to accurate tax calculations and seamless withholdings, JustWorks got you covered. Plus, their expert support 
ensures you have the assistance every single step of the way. And here's the best part. There's no hidden fees. Designed to be flexible, JustWorks can support teams of one to as many as your small business hires, including contractors. In just 30 minutes, set up a payroll that streamlines paying your team, saves time, mitigates errors, and is a desktop and mobile friendly. You can even integrate time tracking and benefits that support running your small business with big confidence. Don't miss your chance to get one month free by visiting justworks.com slash greatness. Secure the limited time offer and start letting JustWorks run your payroll so you don't have to. Start your free month now at justworks.com forward slash greatness. Ever walked into a place and instantly felt drawn in by the scent? Let me share a recent shopping experience. It was a crisp morning and I decided to browse through a new store that had just opened in the neighborhood. As I stepped inside, a refreshing scent of citrus and pine greeted me, instantly lifting my mood and making me feel welcome. As I explored the aisles, the pleasant aroma lingered, enhancing my shopping experience and making it more enjoyable. It made me realize how much scent can influence our perception of a store and how it can make a difference in our overall experience. For stores using scent strategically, that can help them stand out from the competition and create a welcoming environment that keeps customers coming back. If you've ever been in a Banana Republic, Abercrombie, Marriott, or Weston, you know how fragrance can take your experience from good to incredible. Scent Air guided stores, hotels, event spaces, and other businesses in creating fragrance experiences that encourage customers to spend more, stay longer, and leave them happier, ultimately enabling businesses to stand out among their competitors. The secret behind scent marketing is that it's more than just filling your space with a nice scent. Scent Air is proven to increase earned revenue up to 9%, keep customers in your business up to 18% longer, and boost customer satisfaction up to 20% more. Give customers an experience they won't forget with Scent Air's professional quality fragrances designed for businesses just like yours. Go to scentair.com forward slash greatness to learn how you can save 25% off your first Whisper Max diffuser and explore other great deals today. So, so you got out in 2000, you, so 2017 is when you got out? No, I got out in June of 2019. My three-year anniversary is coming up. In a oh, wow, months. man. So, so 2012 is when you got there. You were there for almost seven years? Seven years? I, second day, I got there in 2013. So I was there in 2013, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Yeah, around there. So wow. you got out just before COVID. Um, yeah, wow. So, so how'd that feel, man? <sighs> to get out? Uh, yeah. At first, it was overwhelming. So it wasn't a typical release. There was a typo in my transcripts that resulted in me. So I, I got shipped back to Texas and was handcuffed to a chair for 10 days because there was a typo in my court transcripts that they forgot to check a box that said I had served 18 years in prison. So I was looking at another four years. Thankfully, I had mentors and people who believed in me and helped me get an attorney and fight it. And eventually they released me. They admitted, okay, yeah, we're wrong. We made a mistake. And then they released me. And I actually, like, at first, I didn't believe I was ever going to get released. Even when I was in the county jail about to be walked out, I always thought I I had this thought, they're going to grab me and take me back. They're never going to release me. It's never going to happen. The system has screwed me over time and again. And then finally, I was standing in front of like a glass door and I could just see people on the other side standing there waiting for their loved ones. And I'm like, this is door, this door's never gonna open. They're gonna grab me, cuff me up and take me back. And then finally it opened and I you know, ran out of there uh, as fast as I could. And I, I was I was I was free and I tried to get the hell away from there as fast as possible because I'm like, they're gonna come, they're gonna come grab me outside of here now. And eventually I went to stay with a volunteer that uh, a friend of mine 
who let me stay at his house and I just passed out of sheer exhaustion and being overwhelmed. Um, it took a while to sink in that I like wasn't in prison. I didn't sleep for about two weeks. Um, just from, I was so used to being in a cell. So being in a house where I couldn't see everything that was going on freaked me out. Every noise freaked me out. I mean, I was for 18 years, I lived in a box where I could see everything. I, I know exactly what's going on everywhere within that, that confine. So to be in a huge house, uh, really freaked me out. What, what, what did, what about just like visually seeing like the different, the world as it had changed? What did, how did that, how was that experience? It was very different to walk. Um, so I was released in San Antonio where I was born and raised. So like I went down to the river walk. Right. And it was uncomfortable to be around people because I, I am so used to, I was so used to thinking that violence can occur at any moment that I'm like, I'm, I'm on guard at anybody who walks near me or looks at me funny or stares at me. And it, cre- it was not comfortable. It took me, I'm still where I still work on that and interact the way that I interact with people and the way that people look at me because people stare. It's what they, people stare out here. Well, in prison, people don't stare at you because when you stare at somebody, that means well, you must want something. Uh, problem. Oh, you're saying just like people in general stare like this. Yeah. Out here, people like they, they look at you, they stare at you in prison. You don't really do that too much because it's like, what the hell are you staring at? And I was actually with Kat one day. We were at a coffee shop and this guy is like staring. I'm six foot four. So I'm kind of a tall guy. It's not unusual for somebody who's tall to get like for you to be looked at. And he was staring at me. And I know now that he didn't mean any harm and he wasn't a threat to me. But I just gave him like the desk there. I'm like, what are you looking at? What do you want? And she's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, what the hell is he looking at? What does he want? Like, why would you stare at me? You must want something if you're staring at me that hard. So I've had to work through to to catch myself, to realize like, that's not the way I need to behave out here. And it's not the way to solve violence. It's not the way aggression is not the way to solve problems anymore. And so do you feel like now that you're, you know, I mean, and I guess getting out when you got out, it's like you walked into the world in like the great, like the world, like, like, like uh, the, the world got turned upside down the minute you got out, right? So you, you I, was built for the, I was built for COVID. Like people in prison, we were freaking built for COVID, for lockdown, for not going anywhere, for yeah. like getting super creative in, in my confines, you know? Yeah. Like, like someone telling you what to do and you got to wear a mask. You're like, you're like, oh, shit. People have been telling me what to do for half my life. Yeah. Whatever. No big deal. Yeah. Yeah. The, it's, it's people who are used to being able to do anything they want. Yeah, have any rules? Then it's like that they've had a lot of trouble with this. Um, so, so yeah, I guess you're right. Like that, that prop maybe maybe it made the transition easier because it, it kind of did. Like being stuck in, I, I wasn't stuck in my house. Like I, I something that I was very grateful for and that I acknowledged was when I was in prison, I couldn't walk out of my cell whenever I wanted. I could step out into my yard whenever I want. Like this. Get perspective. Like I, I, I want to acknowledge that everybody that experienced COVID and was locked down, that sucked and it, it hurt and it's painful and it wasn't fun. But we can walk out of our house anytime we want, right? You can walk out and get fresh air. For four years in solitary confinement, I never saw I, for fifteen. The longest was my fifteen months. I literally never saw the sun. Literally, like not like I didn't see the sun. No, I literally never saw the sun. 
Yeah, I don't even. I, I actually, I think that it's unhealthy to do that. Like, it's like, like, it's actually like from a health perspective, like, like you're actually like poisoning people. That's yeah, like, it's fucking crazy, dude. So, so, dude, so, well, congrats on on doing the work to get out, man. That's awesome, and it's it's good good to hear. That's it makes me happy to hear that. And so now you're out, and tell me, like, how was it to? I mean, how was it to go from you know being in this such a unique environment to now you're in the in the non you know prison environment you got to get a job and you're you're like you know like how did that work because i mean i got to assume it's really hard to get a job and you know I, and i and i'm a big believer that our system is totally fucking broken where okay i put someone in prison and let, let's just say like every minute of that term you earned like you know one yeah. people some people might feel like you didn't some people might feel like you did let's just say like that's not an argument let's not argue that let's say fine you, you got what you deserved and you shouldn't have done the bad thing you did and you paid your you know you for your crimes and now you're out yeah. now you get out you got you know this like there's no you don't have a resume right i mean your resume is like 18 years of being a stand-up gang member a huge gap in my resume yeah yeah huge gap like <laughs> like, like 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 no job hopping yeah you know? But like you can't put like I was the lieutenant, you know, you know, gang, you know, colonel of the gang. Yeah, no. Right? Like no one's gonna like I, I had nine I got promoted ten times. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, like, like do you understand I was the fastest promoted promoted you know, <laughs> intern in the gangs? I became the CEO. You know? <laughs> like no no one's no one's like giving you a you you don't get credit for that. Outside, no, I don't. I outside, definitely don't my resume. It's not in my cover letter either. Yeah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I I took one from the team so many times. Yeah. Uh, um, you can't brag about that stuff, but you know, I mean, but but you get out, and you know what I what I, what I believe is one of the biggest reasons why there's such a high recidivism rate is that people are set up to fail. Man, can't get a job, can't live anywhere. Especially, I mean, like depending on what you got charged with, it's like really hard. Unless you have a really big safety net, social network, it's really hard to like get out and then go and 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 you got to acclimate to this world that you didn't fit in before. Well, on so, top of acclimating and getting a job, it's like when you get out, it's a legal requirement for you to have a job. It's also a legal requirement for you to do like eight hours of classes a day. It's like, how the hell am I supposed to go to work and go to all these classes and like report to my probation or parole officer, have my parole officer search my house once a month? Like, I, I, it's it's almost impossible to meet all of the demands that they all the restrictions that the handcuffs they place on you after you after they take them off. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense, right? I mean, if the goal and and my issue with it on top of the big as double, right? Because I'm I'm pretty hardcore like conservative when it comes to money stuff, and I'm like, I'm paying a hundred grand a year for someone to be in prison, like which is fucking crazy. Yeah, but then pull them out. So to then not set them up to be successful, to then put them back in. And I'm like, this is such a drag on society financially. I'm like, this is a bad investment. Like the whole yeah. investment fucked up. It doesn't the, make way we, the way we like to describe it is if, if, it, if prison was a college and people, you pay, if you're paying $100,000 a year to go there and these people get out and we get out and there's no, none of them find, and like, I think it's like 15% of them find jobs after you've graduated from college or be released from prison. That's a pretty crappy success rate. I wouldn't enroll in that college. Yeah, so, yeah. I think they had them. They were like the University of Phoenix. Like, like they were <laughs> online colleges. Like they, yeah. all got, they all got sued for that, right? Sure. Because you're not, the outcome is not 
it is not correlated to the investment, right? So forget about like the social, whatever your beliefs are on, on you know, crime and prison and all that. Yeah. I just want to look at this financially. Financially, it is a bad investment. I spend hundreds of thousands. If I put someone in prison for five years, it's been a half a million bucks for them to get out. And then they go on welfare and they can't get a job. And they, they you know, it's like, and I'm paying food stamps and I'm paying for them to, you know, and, and they're, and they're basically like, and they, then they're like, fuck this. Yeah. Way easier when I was in prison. This is like yeah. living in poverty shit's the worst. So I'm just going to go do what I was good at, which is commit crimes. And yeah. I'm going to go back to prison. Yeah. Like, as would it, most people, right? Because why, that's, not, why not take the easier path? Like, yeah, prison sucks. But when you are dis- when when you're discriminated against out here, when it's like, for me, I, I committed my crimes when I was 17. Like this happened over 20 years ago. And you're still going to punish me for it. You gave me a prison sentence, right? Yeah, I point? did my prison sentence. And now, like when I was released, it's completely legal in California for home for, for a landlord to say, to discriminate against you because of your criminal history. But it is also a legal requirement for me to have a, a stable residence. How am I supposed to do that when I have to tell my landlord? Because the parole officer makes you, they tell you, whenever you apply for a place, you have to tell them you have a criminal history. Well, who the hell, well, I have to tell you, hey, I have four, I have seven violent felonies. Can I live in your apartment? Yeah, in your apartment? I, dude, I'm a landlord. If you told me that, I'd be like, you seem All like right. a nice guy, dude, but no fucking way. Yeah. Like, uh, you think my other tenants who are like VPs in Silicon Valley are going to be cool with that? Yeah. <laughs> They're going to be like, dude, what do you know? Like, like, yeah. like, 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 so it's broken on both sides, right? Because the landlord's put in a bad position, but so is the, the tenant, right? Which is, and, and it's all because it, here's the deal. If the recidivism rate was 1%, landlord wouldn't care. No. Right. Cause landlord would be like, Oh, we have a great real rehabilitation system. Yeah. Like, Oh really? I'm so happy you, you got through that and you're being successful now. But the, the reality is what's the recidivism rate? Like 90% or something? It's, like it's almost, after three years, it's almost 90%. Yeah. So the landlord's like, dude, I don't want my apartment building to be the next, you know, crime scene. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's the that issue. Fear is, that fear is valid. Totally valid. You know? So, so you get out and you're like, all right, I got to go build a life. Like, like how, how did that go? Well, thankfully I had a job day one. Kat started Hustle 2.0 at Pelican Bay. She came in there. This lady's crazy um, and crazy brave and pulls all of us, all the gang leaders into one room and just asks like, Hey, it's like this, what you guys want to be known for. It's like, I'm not scared of you. Like you think everybody's scared of you. You're just some big bad gang member. Um, do you want to be known for more than just being a gang member? And we said, yes. And we started writing for Hustle 2.0. And we started using our voices for positive leadership. So whenever day one, when I got released, my job was to continue writing curriculum for Hustle 2.0. Um, so I, I'm, I'm a rare case, unfortunately, that I had a job day one. And I had an amazing support group behind me who believed in me and helped me get an apartment, helped me get a house, helped me get a job, helped me find transportation, all the things that I needed to be successful. I had a freaking amazing team of people who said you're going to be successful and we're going to help you get there yeah that, I mean, it speaks to what we just said before like having that that you know community right because community yeah. i think this is all about community at the end of the day right had you had you had the right community growing up the odds of the things happening to you that happened to you or the crimes that you chose would have been way lower right yeah like you kind of are who you, you know what they say like you are the average of your top five friends right 
Like, like if your family is that, then and your family is telling you to commit crimes, and the odds of you committing crimes goes up exponentially, right? Yeah, if, if I was a group of CEOs and entrepreneurs growing up, all the skills that I have within me. Yeah, you would have been like the seventy-year-old intern. Yeah, those I would have been able to learn from you and all these other awesome CEOs and all these people who are doing great, all these awesome entrepreneurs. And I'm like, okay, I can do this. I was around people who said, "This is how you use your entrepreneurial skills. You sell yeah. drugs. You, you know, you, this, this is what we do." So I'm like, yeah. oh, this is what we do." So yeah, so now you're you're the director of correctional partnerships for Hustle Two One. What does that mean? Uh, that means I am responsible for not only writing our curriculum, but kind of being the face to correctional partners and showing them that this program works, that engaging in rehabilitative programming can change I, I, the, the, the prison system, the knuckleheads, the, 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 you know, the ones that you have the hardest time with. I was that, I was that person. And I look at me now. Because I took these programs, because I did this, let me show you how we can implement this into your prison and how I can turn your, 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 your hard to reach population, how I can get them to engage. And it works. They, they want to hear. They're like, okay, yeah, these are the knuckleheads. These are the guys who are stabbing my cops every day. These are the guys who are causing fires and riots. I need something to solve this problem. And that's where we, that's where my job comes in is showing them, Hey, this is what we do. This is what I'm about. Cause I, uh, I don't know what I, I do know what it means to not look like it. I don't look like I, I don't look, I, you don't see tattoos. Like, yeah, I was going to say, I was say, I don't see any neck tats or anything. They're, like they're all under my, under here. All of my gang tattoos are under my shirt. So you you were one step ahead when you were in prison. You were thinking about that. <laughs> I was taught, yeah, I was schooled differently. Like, they're like, they, the reason why my homeboys loved me and like really I moved up is because. I'm well spoken. I don't have tattoos. I'm diplomatic. They're like you're perfect. Nobody would ever suspect you. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because I, I I'll be honest with you. I was like, I was like, I don't see any tats peeking out, right? <laughs> and, and, and I'm in, and, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the street smartest, but I'm smart, smarter than the average bear. So I was like, where's his tats at? Yeah, they're all, they're, they're there. They're all, they're all down here. Yeah, uh, you're, you're wow. good. You kept it low, right? So, yeah. so. So yeah, no. Nowadays, dude, they tie their faces, and I'm like, dude, like no. you can't hide that shit. You can't. Like I, I when I'm walking in the streets out here in California, I can spot a gang member like oh. that. It's bam, right? Hands, hands yeah. too. Hands yeah. and neck and face. The hands are the, the the quickest way. And I, I actually like it that, like when I gave my TEDx, uh, a lot of people commented on there that I'm a fake. Like this guy doesn't even have tattoos. I'm like, good. You don't think that I am that person. That's what, like, because I'm not, and, and the actual truth is, I'm not that person anymore. I'm not a gang member anymore. I'm not, I'm not that person anymore. But it's, it's, uh, it's really interesting that that's, that's what people see. When people think of gang members, they think of tattoos, they think of like, they think of all that. So when I was in prison, it was like, I was taught, like, don't, don't, don't tattoo your face. Don't, you need, you need to be under the radar, fly low. That way nobody ever suspects you. Yeah, the, the, that's uh, that. That you're lucky that that was the culture, right? Because if the culture was, hey, dude, you if you're one of us, you got to tattoo your neck. Yeah, you probably would have done it. Yeah. I probably well, that was the culture. The culture is you get it blasted everywhere all over. Oh, the oh, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, but there's also there are also people who are different. Like even within that culture, there are people who are like, I don't need to do all of that to prove to you who I am. Like I'll I'll show you with my actions what I'm about. Oh. I don't need a tattoo to show you that I'm 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 down. Like 
that I'm with I'm with the business. Like I'll I'll show you with my actions. So that, that so there's an element of luck there, right? That your mentors happen to follow that school of thought, right? Because your mentors could have been like, hey, 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 homeboy, if you like really back us, like, yeah. and they're and they're all added up. You're like, all right, I'm gonna look like you. Yeah. Right? Like if you're 17, dude, I'm I, I know what I would have done if uh, <laughs> would anybody like like you're trying to survive, right? So. You 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 acclimate to the environment you're in, you know. You yeah. you mirror, you mimic, and and so that's that's. There's an element of luck there. There's an element of luck, you know. It's half of it's luck and half of it's the work, right? You know, like meeting Cat when you met her and having that mindset. You could have met her five years earlier and you wouldn't have done anything with that. If I, I, and her and I have talked about this. If I had met her and the program before, I would have told them like, "Go screw yourself. I'm not. I don't need your programming. Like, we're not. I'm not doing it." Yeah, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready yet. It, yeah. took that, it took that moment of me realizing I don't want to die in here and seeing like, oh, crap, here's an awesome opportunity with the five and with Hustle 2.0 to change my life and making the most of it, making myself valuable and saying yes. Like when Cal was like, do you want to public speak? I was like, hell no, I don't want to public speak. But, and I really didn't. I was like, no, I don't want to stand in front of people and talk. And Cal's very persuasive. Um, to get like, no, you're going to talk, you're going to lead our, you're going to lead our events. And eventually I did. And it led to where I am today. Oh man, that's so, so good to hear. So, so look, we ran out of time, ran over actually, but I'm sorry. I was intrigued by the whole story. So man, like where can people hook up with you? I know you're doing, you know, hustle 2.0, we can, you know, promote that. But if people want to connect with you or, you know, have you come and speak at their events or learn more about the stuff you're doing, how would they uh, connect with you? Um, you can, I guess. I don't have a speaker page, but I do do speaking. It all comes from people reaching out. You can email me at jmjacks, uh, john at hustle20.com if you'd yeah. like to connect. Yeah, so john, J-O-H-N, at, at hustle20. Hustle yeah, hustle20.com. So yep. you guys heard it here. We'll put it in the show notes. Man, John, such a treat to have you on the show, brother. And um, I'm so grateful that, you know, that you've been able to do the things you've done in your life and, and what you're doing right now is is work that's important and proud to have you here and have you be a part of this thank you for having me here to share a part of my story to and thank you for supporting the work that we get to do and being a part of the scene thank you yeah man i i'm a big fan of your guys work and anyone out there that wants to really help uh you can go to hustle to hustle20.com and uh sponsor people that are using the curriculum that john's writing i'd what i sponsor 59 of your guys you you put a huge you like knocked out all the scholarships of people who were sitting in a cell, that cell I described, waiting for our books or waiting for that second chance, you've like knocked that out of the park. And if anybody else is like having that desire to make a difference in someone's life that you may not even know and offer them a second chance, go to our website and you can sponsor a scholarship or two or 10 or 20. Yeah, was, dude, the best uh, 50 bucks I've, I've spent times 59. So, <laughs> so easy 50 bucks to change a life. I'm, I'm down for it. And uh, we, we all need to do our part. So my friend, thank you for so much for being on the show, guys. Man, what a treat, John. Thank you for coming, my friend. Thank you. All right, guys. We'll see you guys next time. Peace out. We love you. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We'd love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, 
print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. Appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. Whether your resolution is to save money, eat better, or stress less, HelloFresh is here to help you do all three. Say hello to your most delicious year yet. With fresh ingredients and chef-crafted recipes at the price you'll like, delivered right to your door. Don't let recipe boredom strike because HelloFresh has more options than ever before. Dig into your biggest menu yet with over 45 dinner options to choose from weekly and even more market add-on items that suit any lifestyle. Someone who's always on the go, the convenience of having delicious and nutritious meals delivered right to my doorstep has been a game changer. I'll never forget the first time I tried HelloFresh, the excitement of unboxing fresh ingredients and the joy of cooking up a restaurant-quality meal in my own kitchen. It felt like I had my own personal chef minus the hefty price tag. What really hooked me was the variety of recipes they offer. From exotic cuisines to classic comfort food, HelloFresh keeps my taste buds dancing. And the best part, no more last-minute grocery runs or wasted Everything I need is right in the box. Ready to join America's number one meal kit family? Dive into a world of flavor with HelloFresh. Go to HelloFresh.com slash great free and use the code great free that G-R-E-A-T-F-R-E-E for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash great free with code great free. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.